Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Wednesday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. NBA Finals upon us. We will, of course, have full coverage of that tomorrow night. But first, we need to talk about Lonzo Ball, who's the most interesting player to me in this draft. Very, very unconventional. Did a very deep dive. I probably watched more film of him than I have on any of these other prospects. So we're going to get right into that momentarily. First, though, a reminder, we are sponsored today by Smile Direct Club. Visit SmileDirectClub.com and use the promo code CAPSPACE for 50% off your evaluation on custom invisible aligners and also audible you can start a 30-day trial and your first audible book is free audible.com slash cap space is the way to get started with them so ball many people have said this schmitz has said this is one of the more difficult prospects to evaluate because he is so unconventional he combines a, a lot of interesting strengths i would say the number one thing that stuck out to me about him though is that his basketball iq for a 19 year old is just off the charts like absolutely ridiculous on both ends of the floor yeah the analogy i used talking with somebody over the weekend about him was so there are people who grew up like for a long time playing poker and you know they would play sometimes in rooms and all that kind of stuff but then the guys who played online got so much more experience because the hands were so much faster and so it felt like they'd seen everything before even when they turned like 21 or whatever the age is in that jurisdiction that's what lonzo ball is to me he's somebody who for whatever reason seems like he's seen this all before offensively he just has i, I think i i was even more his vision is very impressive i was even more impressed with just his ability to manipulate space on the floor when he's cutting when it's things like just a small thing like he was getting denied out on the perimeter so he just kind of ran towards the guy with the ball and just was able to cut off the angle for the denial and get the ball I don't think I've ever seen anyone his size, certainly no point guard, get as many alley-oops as he did. And part of that is because he actually can get up there and go get it. But just his knack for cutting off the ball anytime there's penetration, he's not just a three-point shooter is looking to spot up every time his ability to go back to I mean he probably had like was averaging like, you know, one alley-oop dunk a game almost. And so much of it is just from making smart cuts defensively his activity level when he's locked in I mean which is always a little bit of a question for a prospect this young but generally he's just always in the passing lanes every pass that's thrown by him he may not get it but he'll at least get his hand to the exact level of where the ball is and maybe his arms aren't long enough to deflect it but he's just going after every pass he's making guys uncomfortable he's coming off his own man as a help defender to block shots and he's got outstanding 
acceleration in a straight line and so that really can help a lot when he is trying to work as a help defender he gets a, a fair number of blocks even as well and his blocks happen more organically I think than Marco Fultz's even though Marco Fultz for example has a higher block rate ball kind of just gets his in the flow of the offense as a help defender instead of just like spectacular chase down in transition type of plays just always seem to know where to be preternatural anticipation uh as a help defender to get in front of the next pass uh even when you know UCLA played a lot of 3-2 zone and he was at the top of that 3-2 zone but you would see him drop down into the paint all the way down to the baseline and make steals sometimes or, or get out to the wing and make steals when the situation called for it and I think it his on-ball defense as far as like getting over screens not that bad to me like he was pretty good at slithering over it competing he's got the length you know there are a couple of uh, plays I think three times in that game against Marco Fultz up in Washington he actually like got over the screen and surprised Fultz and one time he blocked his jumper and twice more he made him throw a desperation pass to avoid getting it blocked that's the type of plays he's able to make surprising people showing up in areas that you just don't expect him to be in it's also so fun with him because it can manifest itself as you said like with alley-oops in surprising ways and it, it all does line up though with basketball IQ and I'm very excited to see what he can do with better surrounding talent. I mean, UCLA was favorable offensively in a lot of different ways. They had shooting on the floor. They had capable ball handlers. Yeah, this is interesting to me, actually, because I think if he goes to the Lakers, he's actually going to be operating with, like, less surrounding talent and less space on the floor than he had at UCLA. That was actually going to be one of my points. As a relative proposition. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he was put in one of the best possible environments to succeed, although certainly he deserves a ton of credit for helping to turn around what had been a bad UCLA team as well. They certainly had been. And I think that it's, it's a fair point to say offensively defensively I mean they were an absolute disaster but there's it's not like there's necessarily going to be a ton of defensive talent on this Lakers team if that's where he ends up either and at least in the early days later on hopefully they'll be better so the two things that give me some pause about him and it will break down his offense obviously starting with his defense maybe isn't the place but that's just the thing that stuck out to me the most is just his overall instincts and feel from the game uh, just his understanding of team ball and where guys are on the floor and how to get himself open are all really just like next level type of stuff. Two things give me pause about him. One is just, you know, the unconventionality of his shot. And yeah, he's got range on it. He shot 41%. He took a lot of attempts too to get to that 41%. But he's also a 67% free throw shooter doesn't get to the foul line very much either, by the way. Uh, and only 3.1 free throw attempts uh, per 40 minutes. So maybe part of that is just simply the fact that he's not getting there that much and just wasn't as in rhythm as much at the foul line and, and that he's a good enough natural shooter that that'll alleviate itself. So that's one aspect. Just, you know, he shoots this shot from the left side of his body. It's tough for him to shoot going right. We almost never saw him do that. He showed he can make it a couple of times, but it's still, it's not as comfortable. You know, I mean, best case scenario, he gets to be like Kevin Durant where he kid he can go to his right but he definitely much prefers going to his left because and his the way he brings the ball up on the left side of his body is much more extreme than even kd that's number one number two is man 18 percent usage rate just seems so incredibly low for someone that you're expecting to be really a star and is he dynamic enough from individual scoring perspective with the ball in his hands to be just like an absolute dominant type of player at the nba 
NBA level. That's, that's when you're drafting someone number two because you think they can dominate. And I'm not sure that he can is quite a good enough scorer that he can really is going to be able to at the NBA level bend the defense to him so that he can open up those passing angles. Now he's still probably gonna make a lot of plays even even if he doesn't turn into like a really solid score. But it just I mean I can't remember another person another player who was drafted unless they just were like you know a center who was like a profile as an unbelievable defender who had that low of usage that was expected to be you know a superstar the way people kind of expect Lonzo to be. And one of the reasons why we use barometers like that is because there is a historical precedent. And so you 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 look at that and you say, okay, well, guys who have this kind of a profile generally don't work out or they don't even have the opportunity to exist is in kind of a better way to put it. But a question I had for you, because one of the fun things about Lonzo is we didn't watch him together. We haven't talked about him really at all. I wanted to see what you thought about his, I like to use the word wiggle, but his ability to change directions and kind of dribble moves, because that's something that always stood out to me with Markel Fultz. And when I went back and was watching more Lonzo, you know, kind of in bursts now, as opposed to during the season, I, it seemed to me like he was more of a straight line dribbler than I had noticed originally. Yes, uh, that's a, I kind of touched on that a little bit already. Yeah, he doesn't have a ton of wiggle, doesn't really create separation with crossovers. Now his straight line acceleration, as I said, is excellent. And he's got the ability to step way back going to his left to create space for that shot but in and in isolations he was very efficient in, in isos overall on the season 40 points on 33 iso possessions 1.2 points per possession now it's only one per game that's pretty low for a college point guard generally and in the pick and roll from a dead standstill i think it might be tough for him a little bit like he's not hasn't shown a ton of ability of like changing speed snaking getting the guy in his back now he could certainly get to that point i mean i, I don't think but, but his handle is, is pretty basic uh i think he's can be prone to getting pressured up like i think in in the second kentucky game they actually set a screen for him in the backcourt a lot of times when De'Aaron Fox was pressuring him up. And Fox, of course, is a wonderful pressure defender in the full court. But I think there is definitely a possibility that guys can get into him, that he's not going to be able to blow by some of the best defense, that he might not be able to beat some of the best defenders on switches as well, the best big defenders, that it's kind of, all right, you know, you've got the step back to your left. By the way, he had 11 points on four possessions uh, on step backs going to his left out of isolation is pretty impressive if he's going to go right it's to drive usually um but yeah i mean you don't see him crossing guys over losing guys off the dribble and that that is a concern we're talking about drafting someone this high but as we said he's not a conventional type of player and i think ultimately you're going to look at him as he'll continue to be a controversial player because I think a lot of things other than assists and just shooting a certain percentage on threes, you know, he's not going to score as much as a lot of guys, right? You're going to have to look at, all right, how good is the offense when he's on the floor because he makes all these great passes and just hits ahead, uh, reverses the ball, secondary assists, spacing the floor with his shooting if it becomes what people hope that he could, that it could be, uh, you know, how effective he is as a help defender. Like all those things, I think are going to be the test for him so much as just, all right, yeah, this guy's scoring 14 points a game here. Like how good can he really be? They're very different players, but I think about all of the hot and sometimes stupid takes I've seen on Ricky Rubio. And I could feel like a lot of that kind of stuff offensively could be in the Lonzo repertoire where it's, you know, it's like, Hey, how can a guy who's only scoring eight or nine points a game, how can he be that important? And then you look at it, then you're making all these arguments. Well, look, look, they're, they're scoring all this with there. And that also ties 
in with the part that is spectacular about him is Lonzo Ball in transition is is awfully impressive more as a passer than as a scorer but he has a good sense of where to go on the court then as well yeah, let's hit, let's hit that in a second. I did a couple more notes on the ISO thing. Sure. He did basically win both Oregon games by ISOing at the end of those, getting the switch and then either pulling back for the jumper or, or getting to the rim and, and finishing. So that was impressive. And, and I also noticed that on the few mid-rangers that he took, he took almost no mid-range shots, no floaters on the year, probably, you know, maybe like 15 all year, if that. He did kind of change his form up a little bit. He got more of a jumper. The few floaters he took looked okay. So I do think he could be a little more effective in the mid-range than he's shown and and when he was asked to isolate I mean it's when you look at him like okay he probably wouldn't be that good of an iso player but he was effective doing that during the season and you have to at least give him some credit for that yeah transition is where it's at the hit ahead passes the he's a a pretty solid defensive rebounder the grab and goes pushing the ball up floor and then also his ability to shoot relocate in semi-transition and get open go back door in semi-transition is really fantastic but just the hope is that if you draft this guy he can get your team into a running mentality get you easy buckets especially for a team that doesn't maybe have the type of one-on-one scores in the half court that you can get some easy points with him pushing the ball up floor it's a big part of how he changed the culture at ucla because while running is always fun it's a lot more fun when you know that there's a good chance that you get rewarded if you do the right thing and lonzo is great about that at rewarding the guys who hustle creating open looks and maximizing those opportunities and so UCLA the team completely bought in and he revamped their offense a lot of that coming through transition and I have very little doubt that that part of his game will translate I will talk more about Lonzo in a second got tons more to discuss with him but first I want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Audible I have actually been an Audible subscriber since 2005 especially once I started working as a lawyer working this job if I'm at home I'm in front of the computer I'm usually got something going on i'm on twitter hard to relax and read a book sometimes but audible gives you a chance to do that especially as we're getting into the dreaded summer months after july when there won't be as much nba audio content out there audible can help you out there i love listening to sci-fi i just finished the commonwealth series by peter f hamilton those are two thousand page long books and i actually used whisper sync technology which is where you can buy a book for your amazon kindle then you add WhisperSync via Audible. And now when you wherever you leave off reading on your Kindle or on your mobile device, then you get in the car, fire up Audible, and you're right at the same spot that you left off. It's seamless. It's fantastic. You read until late at night and, oh man, like I just don't want to go to bed, but I have to because I have to get up for work the next day. Well, now you can continue the book from right where you left off seamlessly on your way to work by listening to Audible in the car. So the way to get started with Audible, start a free 30-day trial in which your first Audible book is free learn more at audible.com slash cap space easy to remember that url of course because we talk about cap space all the time on the program that's audible.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us and get some great audio entertainment at audible.com slash cap space so you talked about transition that dovetails into his finishing which again not very high volume getting to the rim on his own so much of his finishing is off those great cuts and alley-oops along the baseline that we talked about but this can kind of show you i mean i think he's got pretty solid tools you know he can get to the rim quickly he's got some bounce he's not going to dunk on people uh but you know he can get up for a tip dunk in transition or you know if he's open in the half court 
took 69 shots at the rim this year. I watched all of them. Only two of them were blocked, which is absolutely insane for a point guard prospect. Some of that is helped by his size, but a lot of it is more just him knowing when to attack and when not to attack and also having such a great sense of floor spacing and when pressure was going to come. He's also a solid offensive rebounder. Not a ridiculous rate, 3.2%, but he can get in there for some tips off of his own misses sometimes or just because he's made a cutter on the baseline and just happens to be in there when the shot is taken he's good at uh, bouncing up and getting like a quick one hand tap in every once in a while he'll take off a little bit too far away without much of a plan and not quite able to extend to the rim and finish but still i mean he's not taking a ton of really contested finishes over bigs part of that was their system where they always had four three-point shooters on the floor is a much more of a pro offense they ran a lot of stuff where you know they would run a horn set and he'd run a pick and roll and they'd lift the opposite big which is usually tj leaf and leaf is a good three-point shooter pick and roll also there's been some talk that maybe he's not as good in pick and roll the only way i i would agree with that is just kind of the lack of shiftiness the lack of ability to to change a ton of speeds and i think he can still get there with his intelligence although you'd have to imagine that he can add that to his game eventually it's more just that he they ran a lot of sets to get him on the move especially going to his right with some speed coming off a pick and roll like they had one set where they'd start off with one of their other ball handling guards on the right side of the floor that guy would then cross over to the left side of the floor and then do like a little dribble pitch to Lonzo and then Lonzo could take off going to his right and get the screen you know around the top of the key which was good because you know that didn't give the guard a chance to kind of get into him and ice him and force him away from the screen you know so uh, how good is Lonzo going to be when against drop coverages if he doesn't have a big man who can shoot if he's got to just attack a big man who's laying in wait for him can he pull up in the mid-range now his ability to fit passes into really tight spaces will help a lot with that right like he throws these beautiful lob passes into the post beautiful lob passes to the roll man if the pop man is open he'll find him if someone on the wing just takes one step into the paint he'll dime someone up even and and he's so unselfish it's not even like oh i'm gonna throw it to you when you're wide open it's all right your your guy is leaning just a step to the side i'll throw it to you and now you're gonna be able to make a play and you can do the driving kick afterwards because your guy is just has to close out on you just that little bit you know like those are the types of passes he makes like lebron harden will make those kind of passes where you see a guy lean the the wrong way and they can throw it to him but uh, Lonzo will give it up even earlier maybe than those guys will and I I think his vision is really impressive the question is going to come when all right if you're playing him two on two in the pick and roll now is he going to be able to score or not enough to be dynamic enough that you got to bring that third guy over and he can really make it work with his passing but you got to draw an extra guy to the ball first before you can do that what do you think on that score I think he'll be able to take advantage of inadequate coverage you know he'll be maybe he'll tie in kind of like what we've seen with DeMar DeRozan and other guys where he can do fine in the regular season because teams aren't necessarily gearing up for Lonzo Ball and all that type of stuff but then if he's on a team that makes it far enough in the playoffs then teams are going to find his weaknesses they're going to capitalize on them and work with that and it all ties in though with something that I think is one of the most interesting Lonzo Ball questions which is if he doesn't create as reliably as the you know as the lead ball handler is the 
point guard, whatever you want to use. I think he can provide real value off ball, being more of like a kind of more in the line of what Bradley Beal does, but maybe more of what Washington wished Bradley Beal did offensively early on when they wanted him to run the second unit and all that sort of stuff. I think that it, it if that's the fallback, I think it works. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say Beal is the comparison just because Beal has that classic jumper and he's comfortable pulling up in mid-range in a way that Lonzo maybe isn't. Uh, but I do like the fact that he can play off the ball, that he likes to get open off the ball, that he shoots threes almost exclusively. He wants threes. And also just his ability to space deep. You know, if he can continue shooting really deep three-pointers, we saw what a weapon that can be, for example, with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson this year. You know, I think Lonzo, it appears, will be able to have that type of range. So I And that also can help on some of these pick and rolls too, especially if he's going to his left. If you go under on him, he can will theoretically be able to pull up now if you if you're going against an over and drop system that's when i wonder if he can make the play if he's got a guy on his hip can he rise up can he get to the foul line Uh, is he going to learn the little tricks to get to the foul line can he go into the big and finish if someone's waiting for there for him can he do a midget dribble and then maybe find the big eventually if they just switch it is he going to be able to make a play like and that's what's going to make the difference to me between i think he's going to be a very solid player unless just for some reason like his shooting just doesn't translate other than that i think he's going to be a very solid player he'll be a good point guard he'll pass the ball but you know is he going to be ricky rubio who can shoot or is he going to be you know a really dynamic player who can finish at the rim and i think you know he shot 72 percent at the rim this year so that's a a far cry from rubio but he also really picked his spots didn't have a ton of volume so that's going to be the big question for me let's see what else i had here well so i had something for you yeah go ahead sorry on a lot of people are drawing from not i would say not only the kentucky game i'm sure this this the ncaa tournament game De'Aaron fox did a wonderful job on on lonzo ball and deserves credit for that and i thought there that did raise some red flags but i also thought that arizona in the pac-12 tournament did a nice job of, of pressuring him too and that was another concerning thing for me in terms of whether he'll be able to create separation at the next level yeah and full court pressure in the nba isn't as much of an issue i mean yeah if they bring in the backup point guard and he likes to do that that's fine but very few starting point guards are going to do stuff like that patrick beverly maybe a little bit um i will say also that just how well targeted is his passes are really incredible and there are a lot of times when it didn't look like the role guy was open and he found a way to get it to him anyway you know and and there were flashes like there was one time i saw he was able to snake a pick and roll and pull up uh for a j on the right side from 15 or, or he was able to get to his floater game so I think there are just small little bits of the type of game he's going to need to develop more. And just with his IQ being so high, I think he's going to get there to being you know, a very, very solid pick and roll player eventually. And then you mentioned him as well as a, a spot up guy. He also just, you know, is a great drive and kick guy as well. Like if he can get in the lane, he he does have a good intelligence for, all right, I'm going to make you guard me. Even even though I'm planned to pass here, I'm going to make you guard me enough that it's going to open up some kind of a pass. And to me, that's a, a definitely translatable skill, like the idea that he can that he can make all that work and it, and it can apply whether he plays, you know, on the ball a lot or whether he's off. And that's part of the reason why I was so 
so intrigued by his fit with Ben Simmons had that come to pass, but it looks like it won't now. Another thing I think he could really benefit from is if he eventually gets a little bit of a post game at 6'6", 6'9", wingspan, because he generally is going to be guarded by probably smaller defenders, and that's part of where his passing ability is great. But it doesn't even have to be like, you know, some fadeaway jump shot type of thing, but just the ability to back down, shoot a floater over his left shoulder, because I think he's just, he's always going to be not the greatest score like he just needs to have enough things to keep the defense honest and, and he's just he's always going to be like scrounging some points here scrounging some points there getting open in, in transition going back to or on occasion i mean i think if luke walton tries to make this lakers offense if he does go to the lakers more of a warrior style like he'll just be a devastating cutter in that offense and the egalitarian style, I think, will be very good. And I think defensively, it would be nice if he could get stronger. I mean, he looks like really more of a one-two defender right now. He only weighs a buck ninety right now, which is pretty thin for his size. Doesn't really have the type of frame that I think is going to add a lot of weight the way you might say Markel Fultz or Dennis Smith would, to where you see him getting a lot stronger. So maybe he won't be able to switch on to threes very well. And I think he certainly could be beaten by quicker point guards. But you know, if you're comparing him to D'Angelo Russell, his potential future teammate uh he certainly has a lot more potential than him and just like he's always doing something on defense to make guys uncomfortable whether it's just stunting down on post players or or just going to double team at the exact right time uh it it really is remarkable how good his instincts are on both ends that's what i keep getting back to and you know i definitely really want him to succeed because i i like the way that he thinks the game is just so impressive to me it would be amazing if we could see him influence a generation of high school and middle school kids to because so many as you just said so many of the of the things that he relishes and that he's really good at just make basketball better to watch and if guys worked hard on being cutters looked for the extra pass did look ahead passes even if they don't have his vision that mentality is contagious it happened at ucla it very well could happen in his nba team and it makes youth basketball i mean i've watched more youth basketball in the last couple years than before the more lonzo balls we have the better what concerns you about him if there's is there anything we haven't mentioned yet well we talked about it a little bit but i think it's warrants repeating getting to the line and making free throws it's such a small sample size that the making free throws might not be a concern but 2.7 attempts per game is not nearly enough and that is you know in a system that we said was very favorable to him in a lot of ways they had so much floor spacing and sure there were times that he probably got a better pass and a better shot for a teammate than something he could have done at the foul line but but you worry about that. And then the jump in terms of athleticism from college to the pros. Yes, he did well at moments against Markel Fultz and numerous other guys who will be in the NBA. But game in, game out, there's just such a big jump from the average Pac-12 point guard to, let's say, Jeff Teague. You know, like Jeff Teague is a phenomenal basketball player and better than anybody that he's gone against so far. And so I'm not confident that he will necessarily be able to defend one's full-time time i think he's smart enough that they'll be able to figure it out but it's it's one of those things that i'm just gonna have to see it i think i'll know in summer league i think i'll have a good sense that early but i'm still gonna want to see it and some of the statistics really are are quite mind-boggling hundredth percentile for pick and rolls as the ball hander plus the assists arising it out of pick and rolls that's 72 percent at the rim true shooting percentage 
67%. Absolutely ridiculous for a college guard. Great steal and block numbers as well. I mean, it's just that free throw rate and the usage rate. And he was incredibly efficient at the rim. I mean, to, to, to have that type of true shooting when you're not getting to the foul line hardly at all. I mean, he's taking... 57% of his shots from downtown as well. And so again, you there's a little bit of a concern there of whether he can create enough two-point shots to really keep the defense honest as a scorer. But that efficiency, I mean, his spot-up efficiency, another thing that was totally ridiculous. 95th percentile on spot-ups. He had 115 points on his 85 no-dribble jumpers. And then when he steps back, he had 15 points on his nine jumpers off the dribble. That's always basically stepping back to his left so he can shoot that shot off his left hip but he's behind the three-point line and he's covering a lot of ground and he gets I mean I think if he could add the element of coming off screens to shoot three-pointers and I think that's something that he might be able to add eventually uh and he's able to catch on the hop he has a pretty quick release he'll have some really bad misses though that's a reason I I worry a little bit you know his form is so unconventional when a guy has a lot of bad misses you worry about how repeatable their shooting is but I will say that I mean I I find it very unlikely that if if he spots up from like 26 feet away, the teams are going to not guard him. You know, we'll, we'll put it that way. I mean, it would take, with the reputation he has coming in, it'll take a while of missing those shots for teams to not respect him out there. And that just simply having to be guarded out there makes such a difference. We talked on during our finals preview about the idea of the Cavs defending Draymond really more as a passer than a driver, a shooter himself, when he gets that kind of head of steam going towards the paint. Do you feel like that's the best way to defend Lonzo too? Yeah, to just make him beat you for mid-range leave leave a guy back there and say all right we're gonna make you finish over this guy at the rim but then if he can be a good enough three-point shooter then maybe you can't play that coverage because if you he gets his guy gets screened off especially if he's going to his left he can just pull that three and if he's able to make that shot or if he can i don't know whether he's going to try to rejigger his form a little bit to where he can shoot a little better going to his right like he did make one but it looks so awkward you know schmitz has that on his it, video it if tough. you're curious to look at what yeah yeah i mean it's definitely really weird to go to your right and and then bring the ball up from your left hip as you're going to your right. It's it's pretty odd. It's like it's like those quarterbacks who are scrambling who are scrambling the wrong direction and then try to throw the ball off the opposite foot. It's kind of what it that's looks right. Like. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the right-handed quarterback rolling left who like tries to throw it back across his body and gets it picked off every single time. Yeah. Uh, all right. So where uh, I reserve the right to change my mind a little bit, although pretty much I think every analytical model that I've seen has had ball in the top three, and I think most of them seem to have him above Fultz. Actually, I think I know kps did as of the middle of the year i haven't seen his final projection uh andrew johnson came out with his today i think ball was number one in in his as well um and that the, his placing well in those analytical models makes me feel a little bit better about him as well th that those are not as deterred by his usage but again i think those types of models he's enough of an outlier in a lot of these ways that you know they could potentially be confused as much as we are just from a, a scouting perspective where does he fall in, in the hierarchy of the guys that that we have looked at so far to you he's below Fultz for a couple of big reasons one is the ceiling not not like the 100 percent, but like the 90 85 to 90 percent ceiling for me is lower for him than for Fultz just because his off the bounce he's very different and you know the idea of separation like I have more concerns that he about him getting to that point and also he has a lower four because there are ways that Lonzo just doesn't work and so if that happens he drops off but he's above everybody else because remember when we talked about Jonathan Isaac and you and I both like Jonathan Isaac and the idea of how a, a low 
usage guy who just does a lot of the things that make a team better, that that is incredibly valuable. Well, Lonzo Ball doesn't do that defensively in the same way that Jonathan Isaac does, but he does it offensively and could be so much more than that. So I have him second in this class, even though there is that bust potential with him just because if it doesn't work, it might really not work. But he's so smart. And it, from what I can tell, he works hard on his game. And I think that it, I think that it's going to work. And also because there isn't that other guy. So like Dennis Smith, who I like and has a high has a high ceiling. I think you can make an argument he has a higher ceiling, ceiling than Lonzo Ball. Very different guy, but just because of his incredible athleticism. But he has these other concerns, which are very, very real and and need to be and need to be there. So with the lack of that other guy, you know, the real foil to him, I feel pretty good about having him second and taking him second. I second just about everything you say. In particular, what I wanted to elaborate on was the idea of his upside, just because I, I find it difficult to believe that he's ever going to be, you know, a very good one-on-one score and that you're, you're always going to be a little bit limited there uh, to being one of the, the best players. I mean, you're basically, if you're not that good of a one-on-one score and you're a point guard, I and mean, even Chris Paul, you know, he can create, he's been able to create shots when he wanted to, when he needed to. You know, I don't think that Lonzo Ball is going to be as good at, the, at that as Chris Paul. And Paul is probably, you know, your, your lowest usage guy that you really think of as a superstar. You know, generally when Blake Griffin's been healthy, Paul's been in the 23, 24% usage. This guy had an 18% usage in college. You know, so and generally your usage is going to go down when you get to the pros. Now, you could certainly improve that, but and he was playing on a pretty loaded team and they played very unselfishly and they had other guards, Holiday, Bryce Alford, who could handle the ball and, and get them into the offense. So that's not as concerning, but I agree. It's hard to think of And And of course, the other comparison that's been made to him is Jason Kidd. I think Kidd, I think that's actually not a bad comparison. Uh, Kidd was never really that great creating his own shot one-on-one. I think Lonzo can be more efficient than Kidd. I mean, the, the problem with Kidd was that, you know, he was shooting like low 40s, high 30s some years before then he, he this is before he evolved into kind of being more of a spot-up three-point guy in his late Dallas days. So if he, and so I see that as, as kind of his upside. I think Jason Kidd's maybe a little overrated historically as well. But obviously, if he has the career that Jason Kidd had, you'd be ecstatic to get him with the number two pick. But he does remind me of Kidd with the passing, the size of the point guard position, his just pushing the ball in transition, running it down people's throats, and then just the basketball IQ on both ends as well. And I think he could be a better finisher at the rim than Kidd. And a better shooter as well but you know whether he's going to be able to be the the force that kid was you know i'm not saying that but it, there is I, I think that is a pretty legitimate comparison because ball you know again is is not a natural score to me i loved kid basically you know barry a guy he's that i remember back when 92 when he his high school team i think it was saint joseph notre dame was going for the high school championship i believe i watched that game on local tv and i remember kid as being somebody who was better at young kid at getting to getting to a spot and being undeniable in that way than Lonzo is right now but I think that yeah, that's he, he had more more strength than Lonzo for sure. right and so I, I think that's a part of it but again it's it's a reasonable comparison I, I don't think that there's something crazy on that and something I, I think we should just convey this a little bit you talked about it in terms of certain elements just a basic one Lonzo Ball is the best passer to enter the NBA since that's a good one let me think on that for a second well while you think about it for me the answer is probably Rubio because I think back to also Rubio benefited from taking a couple years before he entered the NBA you know that he he did have
have that period of time. Chris Paul is another one on that list, you know, LeBron a couple of years before that. And he's different, you know, in certain ways than those guys. But I think he's in that conversation and he's a better passer than Ben Simmons was. And we loved Ben Simmons. It's part of the reason we both had him number one overall. Yeah, it'd be interesting to say I haven't seen enough of Simmons really working in an NBA offense and with the ball in his hands all the time it it could be that Simmons might be as good as Lonzo but yeah I mean I think that's his passing is unbelievable and I would say even maybe more so than Rubio maybe only because he's able to just draw the defense more so he has more opportunities to pass than Rubio I think we'll end up seeing that potentially but yeah I mean I think he can definitely be in that area of some of the best passers that we've seen in the NBA for sure so there are I mean, if you want to just look at it more in terms of all right who's in the league right now that you would say would be in his class as a passer you know paul james maybe ben simmons if he can fulfill his, his potential james harden is a great passer but he's he doesn't play unselfishly the way that ball does in terms of just like letting other people like setting other people up so that they can make their own move as opposed to making the move and then getting somebody open you know i think that's a, an important aspect as well that a lot of point guards kind of don't realize is that it's about getting someone in position so that they can start their move instead of just take their wide open shot you know a lot of point guards kind of insist on making the play themselves so yeah i'm not other than those that i mentioned john wall would probably be the other one that I, you could put in that category uh i think in terms of his passing he's gonna he's has the potential to be right up there with those guys and there's nobody else i would look at as like wow this guy's an unbelievable passer compared to lonzo so that's that's an important thing to note and so it's just he's got all these great skills if he can just do enough to keep the defense honest with his scoring then i think he can be really a wonderful player and i agree with you he would be my number two on my draft board right now with the caveat that we haven't looked at monk yet and we haven't looked at deer and fox yet either those i think are the only guys remaining that seriously could potentially factor in there all right we got to get to some news here but first this from smile direct club when i was younger i had braces on both my top and bottom teeth and after i completed the treatment i always wore my retainer on the top because you know that's those the teeth that people see but i stupidly kind of just let my retainer lapse and now my bottom teeth are could be better I looked into invisible aligners. They cost up to $5,000 on average. I'm like, all right, it's not really worth it. Smile Direct Club aligners are 70% left and you, you could say 70% less. You could save even more with insurance or an FSA as well. There's two easy ways to pay. You can either pay with a single payment of $1,700 or you can take advantage of Smile Pay, which is just $250 down and then $99 a month for 17 months, no credit check required. The way to get started with them, you would normally get an at-home impression for only $95. I did that process. It took me about 20 minutes. You basically combine these two kinds of putty that activate, so it'll start to harden. Wear each impression, top and bottom. You'll make four in total, two top, two bottom, for three minutes and 30 seconds each. Take it off, mail it back to them, and then they will get you started. Better yet, our listeners can save 50% on your evaluation costs with this special offer. Go to Smile Direct Club, use the promo code CAPSPACE. That's Smile Direct Club, code CAPSPACE, for 50% off your evaluation today. Easy to remember cap space, of course, as we talk about it all the time on the program. Also note, this is only available in the U.S. except for North Carolina. Once again, smelldirectclub.com, promo code CAPSPACE for 50% off your evaluation today. And if your aligners aren't a good fit, you get your money back. So no risk there if it doesn't work out for you. smelldirectclub.com, promo code CAPSPACE. 
So we're a little overdue on news. Let's get to some of that. And starting with in the same vein, Lonzo Ball not going to work out for the Boston Celtics. Will work out for the Lakers in about a week or so, as reported by Shams Sharania. Do you make anything out of him not working out for the Celtics other than just already clearly wants to be with the Lakers? No, I don't. I actually think it's a disappointment just because I think he would be a nice fit on the Celtics, though I have Fultz over Ball on my board, considering the uncertainty certainty with Boston and how many pieces they can add, but I understand an LA kid wanting to play for the Lakers, so I'm not going to read too much into it, especially considering one of the other interesting parts is I think he expressed a willingness to work out for the Sixers, so I'm not exactly sure how all that pieces together, but it's interesting, I guess. Yeah, well, you always need to establish a floor for yourself as well, and I would be very surprised if the Lakers don't take ball, but they are at least going to do their due diligence on some other guys. Ball will not be doing anything other than a one-on-none workout. We haven't seen somebody that high in the draft do anything other than a one-on-none workout in quite some time, so that also is not a surprise. But, you know, if I were Lonzo Ball, I probably wouldn't want to go to the Celtics either, especially because you've got these issues of trying to get your own shoe brand off the ground. He's from LA. You could be a huge star with the Lakers bringing them back back to prominence and I think one of the maybe I don't want to say dirty little secrets but one of the underplayed things is about being a rookie is it's kind of good for them to go to a bad team sometimes you can spread your wings you can average a lot of points per game you could win rookie of the year you know Jalen Brown might have been the best 2016 draftee this season with Ben Simmons out but we'll never know that because he was on the Celtics and playing 10 minutes a game and had to get better for wing. now he may end up being a better player ultimately but certainly in the short term a rookie doesn't want to come in and play 10 minutes a game they want to play 35 minutes a game and average 20 points and so that's uh Lonzo Ball if he goes to the Celtics he's probably gonna play 20 minutes a game next year you know so it's uh totally understandable to me that he would do everything that he can to not get drafted by the Celtics and if anyone say oh what a prima donna like no why wouldn't you try to control your own destiny as much as you can I, I never really understood why everyone like thinks like oh he doesn't want to like, that you're somehow a bad person for not wanting to play in a certain location Steph Curry didn't work out for the Warriors <laughs> yeah and Boston I mean if they really believed in him that much they could still take him anyway uh in other news Travis Schlenk now former assistant general manager for the Golden State Warriors he is now the new Hawks general manager slotting in above Wes Wilcox who has moved on to be a special advisor uh but also actually will now be interviewing for the Bucks GM job which we'll talk about in a minute but Schlenk, it's interesting because his reputation is he is a straight shooter. He will, he is the guy in the room who will say, you know what? Like, I don't think this is right. Even if it's the unpopular opinion, you know, he, he tells people what they need to hear. You know, that's kind of his reputation as well as, you know, having a great scouting eye, of course. And he's had no small part in a lot of those warrior successes in the draft. But that approach, if that is indeed what he was selling in interviews, is very interesting to me because these Hawks, to my, perspective they need to be told that they're not that good right like if you're gonna bring back yeah okay we were the five seed in the east this year but we're on the downswing you bring back paul Millsap on a max contract he's supposed to have these direct negotiations with uh owner tony wrestler which 
is terrifying in terms of the contract that they might end up giving him but that's what they need the the hawks is to say hey we kind of need to rebuild a little bit here we can't just run these guys back or we're going to be consigning ourselves to 40 wins next year and 35 wins the year after that and 30 wins the year after that probably i mean not certainly but that seems to be the trajectory What's more, it would have been good to have a voice like his in the room in January and February when they made the decisions to keep Paul Millsap and Tabo Cephalosha and all these other guys that they could have gotten something for instead of having the season that they ended up having. Yeah, and I don't know whether that's the approach that Schlenk took to in his interviews. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they're not going to do that. But it, if it, he does follow that reputation, I think it is something that the Hawks need. Uh, just a, a little bit of news on Chris Paul's free agent. Mark Stein reporting that the Clippers had a little bit of concern about the Spurs. Woj responding saying no, he thinks that uh, the Spurs targeting Chris Paul is unlikely. And I felt somewhat similarly to Woj, if only because the mechanics of opening up the space are going to lead to some bad optics. Pau Gasol, they're going to trade him away on that player option. Or Tony Parker, who has said that he, uh, to the French sports daily l'equipe, did I say that right, French speaker? Le keep the keep thank you uh that he is targeting a january return from that torn quad tendon are they going to move on from those guys with a trade danny green who i think if they want to actually be good next year they need to keep him around they really would have to go they would have to not bring back patty mills which i think would be an easier decision but parker and gasol i mean those are the two guys who basically would almost certainly have to go or maybe the trading aldridge which again i don't think would really make sense like they need aldridge he's a good player gasol and parker are the ones who are making enough money that you feel like you can upgrade on that slot it's uh does seem somewhat unspurs like uh, to just take a franchise icon in Parker a Hall of Famer and just dump him or stretch him or something like that especially if he is really planning on making a return next year I think that there's a possibility that both of these are true that the Clippers are worried about it and take it seriously and that the Spurs are unlikely to do it and I I think that's probably the most likely because the other part of this is if Pau Gasol opts out then it gets a lot clearer for the Spurs and I don't think that's going to happen but it's certainly possible and Parker being out for a little while does give them some plausible deniability maybe say hey you know you can spend a year here maybe they could express an openness to re-signing him or something I don't think it's going to happen but there is a possibility and I understand why that possibility terrifies the Clippers because the Spurs can make a better sales pitch than the Clippers can other than money yeah and Zach Lowe also reported on a podcast with Kevin Artovitz that there is some mutual interest uh, between Paul and the Spurs opt-outs Dwayne Dedman unsurprisingly opting out of the second year at about uh, three million dollars of that one plus one he signed for the room exception I assume he will get more than that. Danilo Gallinari, also another unsurprising opt-out in Denver, uh, as reported by Woj. Gallo was due... 16.1. Ah, thank you. I was uh, working you on my off Nuggets off-season off preview. <laughs> <laughs> was due $16.1 million. I, I had it right at the top of my head, too. You just beat me to it, of course. Uh, no, but uh, so that that's un- not unexpected. He's going to get way more than that in guaranteed money as well. And, and we'll talk more about that when we do Denver's off-season preview. CJ Miles also opting out of his player option. He was due only about $4 million. And I think, again, at, at age 30, he will do well better than that in guaranteed money. And in a wing market that is thin, even for guys who kind of squint hard and they look like they can play some 3D and Miles shot well on three pointers last year, 41%. Uh, 
I, I think he'll uh, should have a pretty good market. Uh, what do we have in terms of some injury news? Well, so Denzel Valentine had an had an ankle procedure, which is not surprising. It was a scope, I believe, and he had persistent ankle issues this year. And then Miles Plumley had a right knee. De- it's it it's debridement, right? Yes, debridement. So he's going to be out. What was then six to eight weeks? Now it's getting further into that. Yeah, that one slipped past us in early April. Uh, yeah, th- that acquisition continues to go well for, for the Hornets. You remember he missed basically all the regular season once he got acquired with a, a calf injury and then uh, that surgery. But only three years and uh, $12 million a year left on, on, on that contract now for the Hornets. Last thing, Magic Johnson was quoted as saying basically the only player that he wouldn't consider moving would be Brandon Ingram. And regardless of whether that's true or not, I mean, what do you think of that just as a stance? I think they should consider moving everyone so everyone but one is pretty close (laughs) yeah i mean to me you know i know ingram has a lot of potential and you want to believe in your own young players but he didn't show enough to me last year where it's like all right we just cannot move this guy you know and d'angelo russell i think the only one i wouldn't consider moving would be number two pick probably lonzo ball so we'll see it and that is somewhat of a disappointment that they've had two number two picks in a row and neither of them looks like a surefire cornerstone at this point but that is uh the vagaries of the draft and it's not like either of those picks were picks that like not everyone else would have made you know and if anyone wouldn't have taken russell they would have taken julio okafor which looks even worse right and while you like jalen brown it doesn't look like in that next couple of picks and i know there are people who look you know 10 10 spots down in the draft not necessarily saying that for ingram but you know in those first couple with him none of those guys are really lighting the world on fire either this early joe varden out of cleveland reporting that the milwaukee bucks in their GM search have interest in David Griffin as well. It had been initially reported when Justin Zanuck came over that he was likely the GM in waiting. Now that John Hammond has left to become a GM in Orlando, it was thought to be that, all right, that's, the reason he's leaving is because Zanuck is here and now Zanuck is going to ascend, but maybe the Bucks feel like they're in a little bit different spot in terms of the desirability of their jobs. So they're going to do the, their due diligence. And you'd think if they could get Griffin, they would certainly do that. Uh, but who else is on the Bucks' radar now, uh, as reported by Woj and his little, you know, one paragraph, I'm going to do you a favor and mention your guy and mention the highlights of your career uh, article that he likes to do around this time of year. So uh, Pete Dinwiddie, who I believe is still with the Pacers, Ed Stefanski, Memphis, who was also the GM before Sam Hankey in Philadelphia, Wilcox, we already mentioned, and then Arturis uh, Karnasovas, who is with the Nuggets. Yeah, Arturis, well known for his international scouting acumen, also previously of the Rockets and I'm going to do the same thing that Woj does actually <laughs> but uh I'm not doing it as a favor uh very good international scouting eye uh was a finalist for the Nets job last year Stefanski saying that he was the GM before Hinky is actually probably a little bit too negative on him because actually he left in 2011 and Hinky came in in 2013 uh so he was he was not responsible for the Andrew Bynum trade that's true that's a good point uh, Wes Wilcox also reportedly in the mix there as well and they're supposed to even maybe interview more candidates than, than that rod thorne actually is running the search now supposedly for uh the bucks and who's the last guy I've, uh, that i didn't mention yet pete dinwiddie yes yeah dinwiddie started 
off as a lawyer doing mostly business stuff then transitioned into doing cap now does scouting stuff as well for the pacers although that's interesting because he though they've granted permission dinwiddie is poised to move up now maybe to be the number two guy behind kevin pritchard with the departure of larry bird in indiana meanwhile in other executive news the magic with their new president of basketball operations jeff weltman were actually required to give compensation to the raptors And the compensation they gave up is notable because, yes, it is the lesser of their two 2018 second round picks, but their two 2018 second round picks are their own and the Lakers, both of which should be very good. Yeah, difficult to imagine that that's going to fall outside the top 40. And that's where you really get the value in the second round is those first 10 picks of the second round. I think that will do it for today's show. Stay tuned in tomorrow, of course, when we'll be wrapping up game one of the 2017 NBA Finals. It is finally here. Don't forget about our sponsors today, Smile Direct Club. Visit smiledirectclub.com and use the promo code CAPSPACE to get 50% off your evaluation. And Audible, audible.com slash Capspace, let you start your 30-day trial and your first free Audible book. Talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.